This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. And we get closer and closer to draft day. We're going to get through a little bit of mock draft stuff. Jim's was out last week. Jonathan's will be out later this week. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of prospects who have gotten their big league debuts under their belts, and Ian Happ and Bradley Zimmer. Uh, but first, the top of that draft, and Hunter Green is a guy who obviously is still very much in the discussion for 1-1 or 1-2. He's going to be in that that discussion. And Jonathan, you were out in California. Uh, you got a chance to talk to Hunter Green, and you were nice enough to record that conversation. So let's listen in to start things off to what Hunter Green has to say about where he is right now leading up to draft day. I mean, I saw you last summer. You were already, you know, a well-known prospect uh, for, for a time. You come this winter, and I remember hearing reports, 102. You know, um, I know you're not, a, you're not trying to light up the radar gun, but I got to imagine the first time that happened, there must have been a certain, like, all right, that's pretty cool. Oh, I was I was psyched out. I mean, I I felt like, well, it was actually my first day throwing. It was my first game back on the mound, and I was like, okay, maybe I'm gonna be like 92, 94, maybe hit 95, 96, because it's my first game. Uh, I'm not gonna be going 110 percent, and I felt great. You know, I came in. I think I pitched. Um, I want to say three or four innings, and I came in, put my jacket on to keep myself warm. Um, and then I came out for like an inning and was just kind of looking around and my dad like peeked over and he gave me the 102 and I was like, what? I was like, no way. <laughs> and then I looked at him and he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, to think that I was going to be throwing 92, 94, you know, whatever, maybe I get up to 102 later throughout the season. Um, and then right off the bat, the first game, being able to hit the, the triple digits, skipping 100. <laughs> Skipping 101 and going straight to 102 was was really special. That was cool. That was a that was a good moment, um, and being able to come out healthy and not being 110% hitting that number was it's cool. You know, obviously I don't focus on lighting up the gun and doing all this crazy stu- crazy stuff, but being able to go out there effortlessly and hitting triple digits, it's I'm excited to see what what I can do when I get under um, professional tutelage and and being able to get that that uh, that work in with professional people and not just high school coaches I'm, I'm excited I gotta ask you about the getting shut down on the mound thing um, obviously people talked about it. you probably knew that people were gonna talk about it I know you like to compete what was when you that decision was made what you know what was your initial reaction to well I mean obviously I love competing and I love you know being able to contribute to my team and, and help the team win games and championships and win league but um, at the end of the day I understand the bigger picture um, and I understand that I need to be healthy and I need to be ready to go um, to be able to go to a team that, that I'm and I'm healthy and I'm able to you know get off to a good start with a team um, in the rotation or at shortstop or whatever they pick me as um, but I mean I 
I was shocked with how my coach handled it. I mean, he was professional, he was great. We were able to talk um, the day before he made the announcement to the team. My team was supportive. They, you know, they were all happy that I was going to be healthy and that I understood that I got to get ready for uh, my future and I got to be healthy for that. And, um, you know, they, they just handled it really well because they understood that, you know, Hunter's, he's, he's going to be pursuing something special in a couple months and uh, we want the best for him. Before the Sports Illustrated story came out, not that many people knew the story uh, about your sister and what you've gone through. Was that something that you had purposely just not tried to talk about or just no one had asked? Um, well, I mean, I'm really open. I'm an open book. Um, really, no one, no one actually knew, to be honest with you. Um, there were maybe, I mean, obviously family members, but friends. There's maybe one or two people that really knew what was going on. Um, my dad would post on Facebook here and there about, about us being in the hospital and, and how it's going during the process. But um, not a lot of people knew. Um, I've had a lot of people come up to me you know, with the Baseball America and the Sports Illustrated articles um, asking me about my sister. They, they had no idea. I had a whole bunch of people ask me. So um, it wasn't anything where I was not comfortable talking about. I'm open. Uh, it's just people didn't know and they never really asked me. But now that people, you know, have read the story and, and they enjoy it, they come and ask me how she's doing and how the process was, and I'm able to explain that. All right, Jonathan, good stuff from Hunter Green. Uh, what were your impressions getting to uh, kind of talk to this kid one-on-one as the draft approaches? Now, I don't know that I have ever been more impressed with a 17-year-old. Uh, you know, I, I went in, I tend to be skeptical by nature, and, you know, after reading the Sports Illustrated uh, article, uh, where he was sort of painted like, you know, baseball's version of Gandhi. Um, uh, you know, I, I was half expecting to come in and see that the dad was you know, completely overbearing and that the kid was kind of programmed. Uh, you know, sometimes you see these kids who have been playing for so long and groomed to, for this kind of thing. I saw none of that. Uh, you know, the kid is unbelievably engaging, mature, good head on his shoulders, um, well-spoken, Loves his family. He's a really talented artist. Uh, we, we sat in on his art class with him. Uh, like, talented enough where if he wanted to study it in college, he could have. Uh, so, yeah, i uh, very, very impressed. Uh, and this has nothing to do. I didn't, I didn't see him play an inning of baseball. Uh, I saw him practice and put on a show during batting practice. But, you know, he's not pitching right now. He's throwing a bullpen this weekend for a number of teams. But uh, this was more sort of how he carries himself and less about the, the considerable tools he brings when he's playing in a game. You mentioned that he's not pitching, and we've talked about that before on this podcast, and the bullpen coming up. Jim, in your mind, how important is a bullpen like that for a guy who has kind of shut it down as far as game action goes? Uh, he's going to be drafted as a pitcher. How much for Hunter Green is riding on just the bullpen session in mid-May? What do teams hope to see in that? Um, I don't think really much rides on it at all other than if, you know, he got hurt or the stuff was radically different than what you'd seen before. People will wonder what was going on. But, you know, I, I, I've talked to a number of teams. I'm sure Jonathan has to. I mean, realistically, there's only, you know, maybe three teams are going to get a chance to pick Hunter Greens. There's only three teams that really can't matter how, how he does in that bullpen. But, you know, you talk to some people who, you know, just about him shutting down the pitching for the season. And I think it's one of those that if you like Hunter Green, and a lot of people do, you're not really you, – you don't love it. I mean, you, you'd rather get to see him more 
but you understand, look, you know, high school pitchers, you know, they, you know, they get hurt sometimes. And, you know, the guy has answered the bell. Every time he's pitched, it's been really, really good. Um, and then, but, you know, you, you do talk to some people who are troubled by it, but, again, they aren't going to have a shot at picking him and, and wonder if this is going to be the new wave, like we start to see some of the running backs in the college bowl games. But, I mean, really, with this bullpen, and I don't know how many pitches he's going to throw, but, like, unless he comes out there and he's throwing 90 miles an hour instead of 95 on up, I think people are just going to, you know, get reinforced again. And there's no reason to suspect he won't look good. He's just going to reinforce again, look, this guy's got a great arm, which anybody who's seen him pitch going back to last summer and, and any time this spring has seen that. So I think it's more just for, for those teams picking at the top, you know, Twins, Reds, Padres, I, I don't see him getting past those. It's just a kind of a, a safety check to make sure that, okay, you know, the arm's still attached and it's still throwing lightning bolts and, okay, we're good. But I don't think he has to come out and do anything other than look healthy to, you know, maintain his status at the top of the draft. Okay. Before we move on, we want to take a second to tell you about the StatCast podcast, a show dedicated to the analytics that drive front office decisions in the modern game. It's hosted by Mike Petriello and Matt Myers, and this week they discussed a surprising name that keeps popping up alongside Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge atop the exit velocity leaderboards. You can download it on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching for StatCast Podcast or by going to www.statcastpodcast.com. And that brings us right into the mock drafts, and it's that time of year, and I know you guys alternate here week after week coming out with mock drafts. You do you do a full first round. We're going to do five picks, and Jim, yours came out last Friday, so already slightly dated information. I know Jonathan's working on his coming up this week. It'll probably be out right around the time of this podcast, so check that out on MLBPipeline.com. But Jim, what was the thought process for you going into that mock draft that you came out with last Friday, and in your mind, has much changed since? Well, I don't know if much has changed, but you could. I certainly could have gone with any number of different scenarios. I mean, we'll, we'll get into them specifically in a moment, but like for the Twins, you know, I went with Brendan McKay at number one, which Jonathan and I both did when we did kind of a half first round projection when the top 100 prospect list came out uh, the whole week earlier. But, you know, I could have gone Hunter Green. I could have gone Kyle Wright. I mean, the Twins are theoretically kicking the tires on as many as seven guys. I think it'll be one of those three. And you kind of, when you're doing these mock drafts, you, you, you know, you'll go, okay, I'm taking McKay at one, and you go from there. You know, had I gone Hunter Green, it would have been different. I I thought about a, you know, the Padres pick to me is more up in the air than the top two. And then, you know, then you get to the Rays, and then you get to the Braves, and, and then you can go from there. But I don't think much has changed, but it's entirely possible that if I was doing a mock draft right now and was getting the same information I got last week, I could come up with a total, totally different scenario where I had an entirely different, you know, probably a lot of the same names, but the top ten guys in, in a much different order. And that is the fun of this time of year and, and everything leading up to actual draft night. So, Jonathan, we mentioned number one was a week ago with Jim. It's Brendan McKay, who he picked to go to the Twins, of course, out of Louisville. Brendan, uh, a friend of the podcast now, after we had him on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Jonathan, as you sit here, uh, do you lean that same direction, or are you willing to go somewhere else with that pick? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go somewhere else. It's not with any sense of certainty whatsoever. Everything Jim said is right. Um, 
I could very easily see the Twins still taking Brendan McKay. I, I just wanted to mix it up a little bit uh, because Brendan McKay has kind of been sitting in that top spot, and and the Twins um, have not made up their mind. Um, a lot of people picking behind them, I think, feel they're leaning college, so that you know means Brendan McKay or Kyle Wright. Um, you know, for the sake of my first mock, I'm actually putting Hunter Green in the top spot. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that he's going to go number one. Uh, if I, if I really, if this was going to be my last mock, I probably wouldn't even put him there. I do know that two of their higher ups will be at this bullpen session this weekend to, to watch him throw. So they certainly haven't completely dismissed taking him. Um, so uh, for 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 right now, I think for this mock, uh, Hunter Green will be at one one for me. So Jim, you mentioned that depending on who goes one, obviously everything else changes. So in your mind, though, if if Hunter Green goes one, do the Reds definitely take Brendan McKay, or do they still have some other some other options there that they're considering? Or are those two guys basically what I'm asking? Um, the odds on likely two guys to go in those top two picks, one order or the other. Um, I would not say it that definitively. I, I think, you know, I think Kyle Wright could also get number one. And I think yep. because McKay's having such an unbelievable year two-way, both ways, and, you know, we have to mention, you know, our disclaimer that, you know, projecting him where we project, I think Jonathan will back this up, you know, I, I, depending on the team. Like, I think the red stick running McKay would be as a pitcher. If the Twins took him, I don't know which way they'd take him. And you, you get a, a mix of, of, of what people think he'll be. But, I do think because Brendan McKay arguably is, is having as good a two-way career as anybody's ever had in college baseball, and Hunter Green's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and he's throwing you know, 102 miles an hour at times, I think that Kyle Wright gets a little bit of short shrift in that he's, I think, I think most teams have those three guys kind of on the tier by themselves. You know, I don't think Mackenzie Gore and Royce Lewis are far behind them. But I think Kyle Wright could, could go number one maybe more than the average fan might suspect. And even if Hunter Green went one, like like if Hunter Green went one, I would guess, and then guess is a good verb. I think Jonathan will back me up on that too. It is far out in the draft that we're making educated guesses. I would guess that McKay would go two. But if Kyle Wright went one or if Kyle Wright went two over either McKay or Green, depending on who the Twins took at one, that wouldn't shock me at all. He's really, really good. He's, I think, got a higher ceiling as a pitcher than Brendan McKay. I think with a college guy, you, you obviously have three years more where the arm is held up. You know, not that Hunter Green's an injury risk, but just, you know, people are a little wary of high school right-handers in general. Um, and so Kyle Wright might be a, a safer bet than Hunter Green. Um, so you could, you could definitely argue him. And, you know, he got off to a, a really slow start this year, but it wasn't because the stuff was down. The command was just off, but he's been really, really good for the last five or six weeks. And so I, I think it's not really a two-man race. It's a three-man race. But, but now getting back to your original question, if Hunter Green goes one like Jonathan projects or, or sounds like he's going to project, then, yeah, I, I would probably guess Brendan McKay at this point, and I would guess Hunter Green, too, if Brendan McKay goes one. But Kyle Wright, I think, is right there with both those guys. Well, and that's interesting because in your mock draft uh, from last week, number three, which the assumption would be based on that, that it would be Kyle Wright, 
You actually have the the helium guy of this spring so far, Mackenzie Gore, uh, going to the Padres at three. And everybody knows the Padres covet Hunter Green and would love to get him. And if Kyle Wright went one, maybe he could trickle down to them. That would be the dream. But Mackenzie Gore three is interesting. Jonathan, you know, when you're working on yours now, is he of that kind of helium that he could get all the way up to three? Uh, I think there's a possibility, especially if they just decide that they want to go with you know the, the best arm. There are you know uh, Jim will will probably confirm this. Also, I think there are teams that like Gore better than Hunter Green. Um, you know, and then there's a lot that goes into that, but he, you know he's not that far behind. Um, so if the Padres uh, don't necessarily like you know, the other choices, uh, you know, if Kyle Wright is available and they, they're not interested in him, uh, then they could, you know, very well go uh, in that direction. Yeah, I could see that happening. And I was going to say, like, you're kind of reading tea leaves at this point. I've been hearing more of the high school guys with the Padres. I, I totally agree that they would, I, I mean, I think the dream is for them to get Hunter Green, but if Hunter Green goes ahead of them, I've heard more Mackenzie Gore and Royce Lewis than I have Kyle Wright there. That doesn't mean that they would not take Kyle Wright, but, you know, I just, I was hearing more the high school guys there and a little bit more with the Rays when we discussed their pick at four, which is why I had Kyle Wright lasting to five on Friday. But yeah, you know, I mean, depending on who you talk to, I mean, Hunter Green is definitely more famous, but if you were and and I'm a, I'm a contrarian. I know that'll shock both of you hearing me say that, but, <laughs> I, I'll go ahead, and it may sound you know blasphemous, you know, with all the hype. I I think I would take Mackenzie Gore over Hunter Green. It would be close, but you're getting a left-hander. You're getting a guy who you know he's not hitting 102, but it's 92, 97, and, and as I've discussed many times, I almost feel more comfortable with that because it seems like the guys who throw exceptionally hard don't seem to last as long before they get hurt. Again, not claiming that I'm a doctor or that I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But, but the, the, the 102, in some ways, it's, it's exciting, but also worrisome. And, and, and Mackenzie Gore's got better secondary pitches. I mean, you could give him plus curveball, plus changeup, plus slider. He's got, you know, they, they both have very good control and promising command. And while Hunter Green is very athletic, Mackenzie Gore, I'm not going to say he's athletic as Hunter Green, but he's very athletic. He's got a, a high leg kick, but yet he maintains his delivery and his arm slot to where he repeats it very well and throws a lot of strikes. And he he would not be a first-round pick, a mid-first-round pick as a power-hitting infielder like Hunter Greenwood. But Mackenzie Gore is also an accomplished two-way player, too. And it, it could be, I, I will admit, you know, like I, you talk, I've talked to more guys about Mackenzie Gore than I have about Hunter Green because there's only about three teams that can draft Hunter Green. And I'm doing North Carolina and Jonathan's doing California. But I, I think, gun to my head right now, I would take Mackenzie Gore over Hunter Green, and I'm probably in the minority. But I, but as Johnson said, it's not 30 teams saying, "Yeah, we definitely take Hunter Green." There are teams that would take Gore over Hunter Green. All right, we've talked a lot about McKay, Green, Gore, Wright, a little bit about Lewis. Um, that was the top five with Lewis going four, Wright going five in Jim's mock a week ago. Jonathan, do you have the same five, or is somebody else going to sneak in? Because we've talked about the fact that up to seven guys are being looked at by the Twins for that top spot. Right. Uh, I have Lewis three and Wright four, um, but I number five is where I kind of go off the board, uh, so to speak. Uh, and so this week I'm putting Nick Prado in at number five um, based on 
several times over uh, talked about buzz that uh, they, you know, it would be sort of similar to them picking Ian Anderson last year and that they would cut a deal. Uh, how it would work is, uh, you know, they would cut a deal for Nick Prado because Nick Prado is a good player, uh, you know, top half of the first round potential, but he's not the number five guy. Um, they would save money and then they would draft Tristan Beck out of Stanford with uh, their selection 41, assuming that he was still there. Uh, Beck was a guy who we would have been likely talking about at the top of the draft, but he's been hurt all spring. So he was going to slide, but he's going to want to get paid. Uh, so that's the scenario. Um, the general manager uh, of the Braves, John Coppola, and uh, one of his trusted advisors, Bo Porter, uh, were uh, at Prado's last game. Uh, so is it going to happen? I, I, I don't know. I'm hearing just as much that they might have, uh, you know, something figured out with Austin Beck still. And, uh, you know, Mackenzie Gore is a, certainly a distinct possibility if he's there at five. But, you know, at this stage of the game, um, I'm not just going to throw out a random rumor if I hear it once. When I hear it three times, um, then uh, then I figure, you know what, why not? Let's see what that looks like. Uh, so uh, this week's mock will have Nick Prado, the uh, high school first baseman in the Southern California, in at number five. And just as a comparison as far as where you know he could go elsewhere, Jim, you had Prado at 16, which is more, I guess, if he doesn't go to a team who's trying to get a deal done early for less money, that's more likely the range where Prado would end up. Yeah, although I will say I think 16 was the floor for him. I mean, when you're putting these mocks together, like like there's sometimes where you're like, you know, I, I need to get a guy off the board, or I, I, you know, this guy should be gone around here. I, I think 16 is the floor for Prado. He kind of fits in that 11 to 16 range. I I last week almost went with Adam Hazley going number five to the Braves, mm-hmm. and which would have been a bunch of different scenarios. I, you know, the, the Prado rumor is out there. And, you know, I, I think it's credible, you know, especially as Jonathan said, when you look at what the Braves did last year, I don't love that kind of drafting at the top. Yeah. It's great to save money and, and do, and, you know, and, you know, make a bigger bang with your second pick, but I, you know, and look, I like Ian Anderson who went number three. I, I would not have taken Ian Anderson over Riley Pint and he still could have paid Riley Pint and had a bunch of money left to do some things later in the draft like they did. And, if I'm picking five, and I know John Coppolella and John Hart and company are not going to call and ask me, I'm taking whoever I think the best guy on the board is, and you know I'm probably going to save some money and be able to to make a bang later. I don't I, look. I like Nick Prado. I like him a lot. This is a first baseman draft. That's probably the deepest position, which is not the position you want. But I, mean, I had a guy who who likes Nick Prado talking about Evan White of Kentucky, and said you know Evan White's probably going to go higher than people realize. Because you compare Nick Prado and Evan White, and they're very similar. And Evan White is a you know a six runner who who might be able to play center field. Um, so I just I don't I don't like the idea. And if we're not in the mock, it's not what we think should happen. But if that did come true, I don't like the idea of taking a high school first baseman, even one as gifted as Nick Prado, at five, and then using the money to go get Tristan Beck, who hasn't pitched all year. Uh, uh, you know, again, I don't want to sound arrogant here, but I feel like I could do a better job at five and forty-one than, than, than do that combination. You can't, you can't let your personal feelings get in the way, Jim. Um, no, I know, uh, and that's the well, thing. I mean, that's when you do them. I mean, and I'll ask you this, Jim. I mean, on that, 
and I know you're just giving me a little bit of a hard time, but like that's yeah. I think the toughest thing when you're doing like your final mock, the one that counts, and you want to get it right, is sometimes divorcing what you think should happen from what will happen. Like I'm gonna have a hard time with Jaron Kendall because that guy's gonna go lower than he should, and I can't let my feelings that that guy should be like the you know go six to ten. You know, cloud B. If I think he, you know, if I'm hearing he's going to go, you know, 11 to 15 or 16 to 20. Right, right. Um, yeah, I'm still working on him too. Uh, the one thing I will say, is, is, you know, with the in addition to the Prado thing, uh, you know, uh, is that the Braves asked to see him in the outfield. Now I don't know that he played in the game, but he went out there and he plays. You know, he he does play some outfield during the high school season, uh, so they may be looking at that. And right now they're just looking at different possibilities, I think. And in terms of getting it right at the end, sometimes it helps. Uh, you know, even if I, even if that didn't end up being my mock this week, going through the exercise of, all right, well, what would it look like if Prada won five? Because then when we get down to that last one and we're scrambling and we know we find out, for instance, that maybe that is happening, at least we have an idea of what it could look like, and that could help us try to piece it together later. All right. Well, the mock drafts will continue to roll out between now and the actual draft, which is less than a month away at this point, coming up in uh, the first half of June. All right. Uh, so a couple of top prospects have been called up to their big league clubs in the last week. I wanted to touch on that before we end this podcast. First, it was Ian Happ in, in what has become a bit of a Cubs tradition. Happ homers in his debut. Uh, Starling Castro homered in his debut. Javier Baez homered in his debut. Jorge Soler homered in his debut. Um, there's been a, a run of them, and, and the next, the latest is Ian Happ. Um, I guess my first question is, we we knew Happ was coming at some point, but how long is Happ going to be up with the Cubs, Jim? You want to answer that one? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because he may change. <laughs> he may change the narrative. I mean, he basically got called up because Chris Bryant was sick and Aston Russell was nicked up. And John Jay was nicked up, and it was not a plan. I mean, he's off. He's off to a very good start in AAA, and he had he was their best hitter in spring training. And the guy went ninth overall in the draft a couple years ago because he could really hit. So everybody knew he could hit. And, you know, I think he still has some polishing to do at second base. A lot of I, I, almost every scout I talked to there's on the fall, he still thinks he's more of an outfielder than a second baseman. But we always knew he could hit. And so when he got called up, it was more. I think the result of the Cubs had three guys who were not capable of playing or playing on an everyday basis, but weren't injured or sick enough to go on the DL, and they needed another option. You know, it was interesting. Ian Happ was not on the 40-man roster, so it wasn't just, hey, this is an easy move. But, you know, hey, the guy was their best hitter in spring training. He was their best hitter in AAA, so they bring him up. The thing is, he's homered, what, I think twice now in his three games, and he, and he doubled, I think, in the other game, and he's looked very comfortable, and he batted cleanup in his Wrigley Field debut that – you know, okay, is he going to hit an extra base hit every day? No, I, I, he's not going to do that. But, I mean, this guy does have 20-20 potential. He, he's a very gifted hitter, switch hitter. And if the guy continues to hit like this, uh, you know, it may force him to rethink some things and, 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 send, and, you know, maybe you don't send him down. I mean, Schwarber kind of did that a couple of years ago when they called him up to DH when they had some American League games on tap. They called him up to DH. And he did go back down, but then he came back up for good, you know, I think earlier than, than most of us expected. So, you know, I don't know if Ian Happ's going to stay with them, you know, for more than a week or two. 
But even if they send him back to AAA, he, he's certainly showing enough that, uh, you know, maybe back up even without, you know, like an obvious opening getting created. You know, he does give them some flexibility. They have a number of guys in that, that club who can play multiple positions. He could play second. He could play, you know, all over the outfield, you know, probably better on the corners. You know, you, you, with him at second, then, you know, Javi Baez is free to play pretty much anywhere, too. So he gives them a lot of flexibility. And, you know, I'll be very interested to see because I, I, I don't know how you set him down while he's delivering an extra base hit every day. And even when that tails off, he, he may have done enough to, to warrant staying up. Jonathan, at some point, do the Cubs need to, I mean, there's a bigger picture decision that needs to be made here, isn't there, with, with Baez and now Hap, and then you knew eventually this was going to come, and I think a lot of people expected at some point maybe they would include Hap in a trade uh, to bring back something, but now he's up in the big leagues and he's hitting the ball well. Uh, Javi Baez continues to, I I mean, he showed flashes, obviously, in the postseason of being a great player, but but the average is still low. He still strikes out a lot. Eventually, a bigger-picture decision needs to be made, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you can be a brilliant tactician in terms of moving guys who have positional flexibility around, but at the end of the day, these guys need to, to play. You know, Javi Baez, if you're going to maximize his offensive potential, has to be in the lineup every day uh, because of that swing and miss. He needs to get into that rhythm. Ian Happ developmentally, you don't want him not playing. Uh, you know, and I agree with Jim in terms of uh, the way he started is, is fantastic, and it certainly will make you pause. But I think that if push comes to shove, they'd rather send him back down to, to AAA just so he can get regular at-bats until there's a need for him uh, again. I mean, he's only 22. He doesn't turn 23 until, until August. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they sent them down, even if he's swinging a really hot bat, uh, especially if they told him, hey, you're going to be up for that, this amount of time, and then, and then you're going to go back down. But, um, but hey, if, if in the end you want to use him to trade for, say, some pitching back in return, what better way to showcase him than giving him a handful of at-bats in, in the big leagues and having him go off like this to show that, uh, not only is he capable, but he's ready to contribute. And my guess is in the long run, too, and we don't know how it's going to turn out, I would bet that Ian Happ winds up being a major part of a significant trade for the Cubs because I think there's a big defensive game. He's a better hitter than Javi Baez. Javi Baez is a much better defender at second base. Um, Javi Baez, I think, you know, is, is more versatile than Ian Happ is versatile and has more power. I just talked to so many scouts who really think Hap is more of an outfielder, and I really think your Cubs corner outfielders for the long term are going to be Kyle Schwarber and Eloy Jimenez. So, uh, you know, I'll be very interested to see. I mean, it seems like every, you know, every couple months there's another Cubs hitting prospect who's forcing his way to the big league. But, you know, if my, my gut tells me that in the end, you know, Ian Hap's looking great right now, but that it's going to be hard for him to crack that line. I mean, he's very, very talented. But that, that lineup is so ridiculous as it projects out that unless they, they move a Schwarber or Jimenez, I think Ian Happ probably gets traded in the long run. It's certainly a good problem to have. That is for sure as far as the Cubs go. All right, now Bradley Zimmer did not get off to the debut that Ian Happ did. Instead, Zimmer, a tough go in his opener, 0 for 3, three strikeouts. Now the future is brighter for the Indians' number one prospect than that, um, but a tough start. Um, what's the 
what should we expect in Zimmer's time here in the big leagues, uh, Jonathan? Um, I assume we're not expecting him to strike out three times every game. Uh, no, but he's going to do that a good amount. Um, you know, that's uh, kind of what he does. He had 43 strikeouts in 33 games in AAA. Uh, he started off really slowly and then, and then uh, started to, to turn it on. If they're going to give him enough time to get acclimated, uh, you will eventually see this combination of power and, and speed. Uh, you know, he's not a burner, but he's shown to be a, that he is a very effective base dealer. Uh, I think a lot of people figured that he would uh, not be able to handle center field. He's shown that he could stay in center if needed, but he can probably handle all three outfield positions. Uh, I mean, he's got a lot of tools. The swing and miss is, is, is always going to be there. And, you know, if you look at his history uh, coming up uh, through their system, he does have a tendency to struggle when he first gets to a, a level. Um, you know, and then once he gets his feet under him, he, he, he does fine. So uh, it, it may take him a little while. I don't know what the timetable is in terms of, uh, you know, injured guys in their outfield coming back. Uh you know, but hopefully they'll give him enough time to sort of uh, uh, get his bearings a little bit, and then I think you'll start to see some of uh, some of the myriad ways that he can contribute to to a team. And I think both these guys are interesting because both of these teams are obviously teams with World Series aspirations. Um, Jim, when you look at Zimmer, obviously uh, there's no plan, plans to include him in a trade. He's a big part of this Indians team's future. He is. I mean, I think he's he. If he's not the center fielder of the future, let's say if it's Greg Allen winds up pushing him to a corner, you know, he, he has the batch profile in a corner. I mean, it's interesting. I, I was just thinking while Johnson was talking about how much I saw Ian Happ and Bradley Zimmer play in the Arizona Fall League last year because I, I wound up doing a lot of Mesa games, and, and then they wound up both being in the championship game and winning a championship, and Cody Bellinger too. So there's a little plug for the Arizona Fall League that, once again, guys are getting called to the big leagues even quicker than we thought right after we saw him, you know, just a few months ago in the fall league. But, no, he's, I mean, he, he like half. He's got 20-20 potential. I don't think he's the pure hitter half is. As Jonathan said, I mean, I think you're always going to have strikeouts. I don't think he's going to, you know, I think Ian Happ's a guy who, who down the road hits 300 in the big leagues. Kyle Zimmer might be more of that 260 guy. Um, but, you know, I do think Kyle Zimmer plays a good center field. I think he's got the strong arm to play right field. You know, he, he's, what I like about Kyle Zimmer is, he doesn't have to hit for a high. He can still help you win in a lot of ways, even if he's not hitting 280 or 300. Um, he does draw some walks. It mitigates a little bit lower batting average, too. And uh, I thought everything Jonathan said was, was, was just spot on, like I always do. Jonathan's so, uh, so knowledgeable. But, uh, but no, he just, he's always <laughs> taking a while to uh, be a little sarcastic, but I did mean that there. I don't know why I was getting, uh, getting loopy here as I drive cross country. But uh, he, you know, he always does take time to adjust to a new level. So I would expect that while he won't strike out three times every game, that he won't make the instant impact Ian Happ will. But, you know, he can help you win. You know, he can help you win with the power, the speed, the defense, the arm. He can help you win in a lot of ways. All right. Great stuff, guys. That's going to do it for this podcast. Hopefully Bradley Zimmer gets that first hit under his belt shortly, and Ian Happ continues to uh, swing the bat well as well. And the mock drafts will continue to come out from you guys. Make sure you check out Jonathan's on MLBpipeline.com. We went through the top of that first round, but he'll have the full first round mock up on MLBpipeline.com. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 